This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we go back to 1948 for our first show, and that's from the excellent program series, Escape. Tonight's episode, entitled, Three Good Witnesses. You are speeding through the Turkish night on the Taurus Express. You are alone and unarmed. And somewhere on the train is a calm killer from whom you must escape. Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and carefully contrived to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape to Turkey, and the Taurus Express, which carries a shipment of death, as Harold Lamb told it in his exciting story, Three Good Witnesses. I took the Taurus Express that night, because I was going home, back to the United States, back to California, and my routine job at the oil company. Two days before, I'd given my final report to our State Department man in Istanbul, a negative report. In Mr. Ward, your considered opinion is that there is no oil in this area? Not enough to be worth drilling for, not at this late date. War would be over before we could get out 10,000 barrels. You're being optimistic, Mr. Ward. War isn't over yet. Who can say when it will be? Well, that's true, but... Uh, uh, what does Orvark say? He agrees with me completely. So does Wyndham, the British engineer. We're all agreed. Mm, three good witnesses, hmm? Well, then that settles it. What do you mean, three good witnesses? Oh, that's an old saying out here in the Middle East. Come from the Arabs, I think. In their old law, the testimony of three independent and trustworthy witnesses was enough to establish the guilt or innocence of an accused person. Hmm. But why Three. I suppose two witnesses to a crime might tell the same lie. But if three fellas tell the same story, well, it must be true. Hmm, maybe. Now, I suppose the odds against three making up the same story would be high, but I don't know whether I'd like to trust my neck with that kind of justice. Yeah, it is a little different from the justice back home in Chattahoochee County. Hmm. I imagine you'll be wanting to get back to the States as soon as possible. Indeed I do. Well, I can put you on the Taurus Express Wednesday. You'll be in Cairo by Saturday. Get an ATC plane that'll have you in Washington three days later. Istanbul to Washington in less than a week. It's a small world, isn't it? So I was booked on the Taurus Express, leaving Istanbul on Wednesday night. I got to the station late, and as I walked down the long platform toward the first-class carriages, I sensed a tenseness in the crowd. First, I couldn't explain it. Then I noticed that the platform was alive with police. They stood at the door of every car, motionless, solemn-faced, carefully scrutinizing everyone who got aboard. And it seemed that everyone on that bustling platform was aware of them. I found my car near the front of the train. A policeman stood at the open door. I paused to verify the car number, and suddenly I heard a voice at my elbow. I had missed you. A pair of arms oh, twined around my neck. A pair of lips were kissing me. Oh, Pushed her away to try to see her face, but she clung to me. 
tried to say something, but she kept Never talking so fast I couldn't get a word How in. How could you do this to me? To run off without even saying goodbye? I must be with you right up to the last minute, my darling. Last I could see her. She was beautiful. Oh, you must very young and very again. beautiful. Turkish or Greek, I couldn't tell which, but lovely. Why? You must let me go on the train with you. See you safely to your compartment. I cannot bear it. Madame, I'm afraid you're making a mistake. Please, please, you must help me. I will explain. But I... uh... Come, you will miss the train. I will see you safely on board. Come, hurry, so we may say our last goodbye in privacy. This last was thrown over her shoulder to the policeman standing there. She pulled me up the steps into the car. He stared at us, but he said nothing. In the moment, we were standing in the deserted corridor. Oh, th- thank you, sir. Thank now you. Now, look here, young lady. What is all this? It is the fault of those police standing out there. I could not get into the car alone. But why not? This is a first-class car. Only rich foreigners ride in first-class compartment. I could see by you clothes you were American. I knew you would help me. But why did you want to get into this car, especially? Because I... Suddenly she stopped. And her eyes were riveted on something behind my back. I turned to see a swarthy young man staring at us from the other end of the car. He was dressed in the uniform of a train conductor. Slid open a compartment door. There was an almost imperceptible jerk of his head. And then the girl slipped past me and into the open room. Conductor slid the door shut after her. Your number, sir? Huh? Oh, oh yes, yes, uh, 12. Yes, the next one. Here. If there is anything I can do for you, I shall be pleased. If you care to leave your ticket and passport with me, I shall be able to attend to Syrian customs without disturbing you later. As he talked, his eyes were not on me. He was watching the slow progress of a policeman through the car. The officer was walking by, glancing into each compartment. When he came opposite us, he spoke to the conductor. Polikala. Polikala. Conductor was standing squarely in front of the door of the girl's compartment, hiding her from view. Policeman walked on. In a moment, he had disappeared. Thank you, sir. I shall not disturb you. I went into my compartment. My bags were already there. The train was about to leave. Everything was in order. But I couldn't help wondering about the uh, incident I just witnessed. About the girl I'd involuntarily hemped and the... Conductor wondered about all those police out there. Obviously, something was going on. <laughs> then I remembered. This was Istanbul, a gateway to the Middle East. It was supposed to be alive with acts of spies. Could that girl be... <laughs> then I laughed. Just my overage, stay-at-home, mind imagining things. Then suddenly I heard a voice hey, in the George, corridor outside. What's the big idea? The voice was unmistakably American and music to my ears. I jumped to my feet and stepped into the corridor. There outside the next compartment was a young man, in civilian clothes, carrying a small bag and a briefcase. The swarthy conductor was approaching him with a worried look. How about look. this, huh? There's a dame in my compartment. Beg pardon, sir. There must be a mistake. This is compartment number 10. Naturally. You think I can't read? Number 10, that's mine. But number 10 is not sold. It is not marked on my list. The heck it is, and I've got the ticket right here. What's with the dame? Please, not so loud. I don't get this. Uh, I... I beg your pardon. Can I be of any help? Hmm? Oh, you're an American, too. Yep. Humphrey Ward, Los Angeles. Tom Hatfield. Glad to know you. Look, what's with the dame? Do you know? No, I'm afraid please, I... Please, gentlemen, step into the compartment, please. But the girl... Please. In. Yes? Okay. Well, I... Please, I... sir. Oh, all right. The evidence, the inner... Passaria. Happy Simon, not to come. Hey, wait a minute. Talk English. What's all this about, anyway? It is... I am embarrassed, sir. You're embarrassed. I buy a ticket and find a dame in my compartment. Of course, on closer inspection, maybe I'm not so mad after all. She looks like a good deal. (laughs) Thank you, sir. Oh, you do speak English, huh? Sir, the policeman will come by, maybe look in. I must ask of you a favor. Yeah? If she could stay here just until the train has started... She will not bother you after that. Why can't she stay in her own compartment? Please, sir, I have no place else to put her. All the other places are taken. Oh, she's a deadhead, huh? Deadhead? No ticket. Stowaway. It is something like that. Well, what's the setup? Is she your girlfriend? No, no, it is not like that. It is... You see, we are both Macedonian. She is escaping from the Nazis. She wants to go to Cairo to join the nurse corps. Oh? She has been for two years in Greece. 
under the Nazis. Mm -hmm. She is a real patriot. If you will help her. Well, maybe if he introduced us and let her speak for herself. She is called Mara Dallas. Well, let's make it Mary for short. Mary the deadhead. Hi, Mary. Hi. You're okay. Get her. She talks American. <laughs> I spent two years at the American school at Thessalonica. I work with Red Cross in Greece during the fighting. Right so? I like Americans. I want to go to the United States. Who doesn't? I want to learn to be a real nurse. You will help me. Americans are always kind. Mm -hmm. This gentleman here, he helped me get on the train. Naturally. Now you will help me. <laughs> okay? Uh, okay. Oh, thank you, sir. Now, I must go before the policeman gets suspicious. Okay, this may turn out to be a pleasure. Mm -hmm. Looks like you don't need me. Uh, I'm in the next compartment. Maybe we'll get together later. Sure, sure. I'd offer you a seat, but we're sort of crowded already, Mary and me. <laughs> I went back to my seat laughing. Laughing mostly at the silly idea I'd had that maybe Mary the deadhead and her conductor friend were spies of some sort. Obviously, they were harmless. As harmless as, as I was. And that was completely harmless, confounded. I looked out the window as the train slid out of the station, leaving Turkey, leaving the war, going home. Back to complacent safety. Men were out here fighting and dying. They'd get no help from me. Me, overage and useless. <laughs> I felt pretty sorry for myself. It wasn't until the next day that I began to get acquainted with my fellow passengers. Mary the deadhead was riding on the conductor's jump seat at the end of the car. The uh, Ruvians, an Armenian couple, were in 14, the compartment next to mine. Young Tom Hatfield was on the other side of me. And two Greek refugees, a Mr. Chiniara and a Mr. Dvikar, were next to him in eight. Hatfield kept pretty much out of sight all day, and it was Mr. Chiniara who shared a table with me at dinner that night. I didn't much care for him, but he was somebody to talk to. Uh, you Americans, you do not realize how lucky you are. No, I suppose not. You do not know what it is to be safe. Just look around you. Almost all the passengers on this express are refugees. All of them would pay much to be going to the United States as you are. Yeah, I suppose so. But yes, <laughs> where else is there any security for us? But you, sir, and your young friend are already secure. Wherever you go, you are always safe. But it is not so for us. Yeah, I suppose we do take a lot for granted, and... Oh, here's Mr. Hatfield now. Uh, Hatfield, uh, won't you join us? Thanks, no, I'll just sit oh, over no, there. Oh, no, I insist. I, I was just leaving. You must join your friend. Oh, really? There's no oh, need. insist, please. Okay, well, thank you, Mr. Tiniara. It's been a pleasure. And for me, sir. Good evening. Good evening. Take it easy. Well, I haven't seen much of you today. Been resting, eh? Something like that. You ordered? Yes, I'll call the waiter. Never mind, he'll be back. Who's your slick-haired friend? Oh, Mr. Chiniara? He's a Greek refugee, just escaped from the Nazis. Everybody out here just escaped from the Nazis. He was saying how lucky we are to be Americans. Guess they don't see many of us in Turkey these days. I guess not. I haven't seen many of us myself. Funny, I didn't run into you in Istanbul. I wasn't there, just passing through. Oh. No, I thought I'd have met you at the American Mission or somewhere. No. I, uh... Well, I'm out here at the State Department. Oil. And I didn't have much luck. I'm going home now. Too bad. Hmm. Plenty of things for us Americans to do out here, though. Like, uh, oil and other things, you know? Of course, they give the unimportant stuff to has-beens like me. Need the good stuff for young fellows like you. Okay, Mr. Ward. Huh? What? Okay. I'm Tom Hatfield, Frankfort, Kentucky. White, Protestant, 26, unmarried. No, I'm not a draft dodger, and no, I'm not AWOL. And yes, I'm here on business, which is none of yours. I'm a captain Air Force. Two years overseas. You might say officially I'm on a holiday. The fact is, I'm taking this train to Adana, where I get off at 5 tomorrow morning, cross the border, and catch a plane that's waiting to take me to Cairo. Anything else you want to know? Oh, I, I'm sorry, I... No, 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 I... sit down, sit down. I'm sorry. I guess I'm getting on my own nerves. Forget it, will you? Oh, it's nothing. You needn't think that... Riding on trains is kind of bad for a flyer. Makes me jumpy. I understand. But uh, you must have already been through a lot. I do understand. I was in France in 1918. I know what it's like. 
Maybe you know better than I do. Oh, I wouldn't say that, but I envy you. I'd give anything to be in it. You're lucky you're not. Oh, I know, I know. No fun being old and useless like me either. I envy you. I can tell you're doing something important. You can? How? Mm-hmm. By the way, you're so careful with that briefcase. Carry it around with you all the time. You got it on your lap now. Probably got something important in it. The statues or something. So you noticed that, did you? Well, I hope nobody else on this train is so observant, Mr. Ward. Oh, you're pulling my leg. What difference would it make, anyway? You can never tell. On a train like this, out here, you never know. Oh, you mean spies? Well, I... But why? I haven't seen anyone who looks suspicious. Spies are never suspicious-looking, Mr. Ward. They're anybody. Anybody who wants to make a quick buck and doesn't care how he does it. This train is alive with people like that. Oh, yeah, but, but who? Who? Well, just take, for instance, Mary the Deadhead. She's young and pretty, yes. But she's broke. And her shifty-eyed boyfriend, the conductor. Oh, but they're Greeks. She's a refugee. So she says. But didn't it seem strange to you that he put her in my compartment by mistake? My name wasn't on the list, so he said. Were you satisfied with their story? Well, for a moment I was suspicious, but... You can't take too much for granted. Now, for instance, the story I just told you. I might be a spy, mightn't I? That whole thing might be hogwash. Well, no, no. You're American. I know that. Who else would say hogwash? No matter. I could be an American trader. There are such things. Oh, but that... Or you might be the spy. Yeah, they even look like you. Meek and mild. Casper Milktoast. <laughs> and their cover stories are pips. Like telling you they're out here looking for oil. They strike up a conversation, ask questions, and notice briefcases. Oh, but look. Now, look here. Surely you don't think... No, I don't think anything. I only say, you never can tell, Mr. Ward. <laughs> Of course he was kidding me, pulling my leg, but I didn't really mind. I liked him, and he had a right to be cocky and flip. He was doing something for the war effort. Even though I knew he was kidding me, I went to bed thinking about spies and fell asleep dreaming of them. Then very suddenly, I woke with a terrible sense of urgency. There was something that I must do. I looked at my watch, it was ten minutes to five. The train was dark, everything was quiet. And yet, I felt I had to get up. I started to put on my clothes. It didn't make sense, but then I remembered. It was Tom Hatfield, not me, who had to get up at five, leave the train at Adana to cross the border into Syria and take his plane. Those dispatches must be important. If he had to change to a fast plane as soon as he got out of neutral Turkey... When I stepped out into the dimly lit corridor, it was, it was deserted. I knocked on Hatfield's door. No answer. I tried the handle. The door slid open into darkness. Something was wrong. I switched on the light and went in. Tom Hatfield lay there in the bunk asleep. Hey, Hatfield! Rise and shine! We're coming into Adana. You've got to get off. I shook him. He didn't move. Then I saw blood on his pillow and on his head. I looked around quickly. The briefcase was gone. Kiborkian! Kiborkian! Is something wrong, sir? Did either of you see anybody go into number 10? No. Nobody. Who should go... Look, do you have keys to the doors? But no. There are no keys. They lock from the inside a sliding bolt and chain. Nobody can get in once they are locked. Yeah, that's what I thought. I knew Tom Hatfield would have locked that door. Somebody must have gotten in some other way and left that corridor door open as a false clue. But how? Then I noticed the door which connected to number eight. I tried it. It was locked. This didn't make sense. But through my mind was racing one thought. American dispatches have been stolen. Tom Hatfield is out. It's up to me. I, I searched the room. I found an automatic under the mattress, but no briefcase. I heard the train start up again. We were leaving Adana. I looked again at the connecting door. Then I got it. The bolt was fastened on the other side of that door. But on this side, it was not. That meant that someone could have come in through number eight. I knocked on the door. I heard a movement, and then the bolt slid back, and the door swung open. I was face to face with Mr. Chiniara. And he was staring at the gun in my hand. What is it? What is that for? The briefcase. 
The bag of my friend. Is it here? Briefcase? Bag? Oh, we have here only our valises. This door has been opened. Something is missing. Oh, if you have lost something, I pray you to look. I know nothing of it. Hey, come in, please, and look. All right, I will. I'm not accusing anyone, but I just want to be sure that... <laughs> thing I felt was a stinging coldness on my face, a rushing wind, and I realized that I was hanging half out of the window of the car. They were shoving me out of the train. Savagely, I, I kicked. I felt something give, and I pushed myself back and slid down onto the floor. I felt something hard under me, the gun. In the dim compartment, I saw them coming at me, Chiniara and Vicar. I raised the gun. What is it? What has happened? Oh, look! On the floor! Shut the door, quickly! Are they... Wait, let me look. Yes. Both of them. Finish. They... they took the briefcase. I'm sure they did. Hey, who's shooting up the place? Hatfield! Holy cow, will you look at that? What's happened? Well, the briefcase, it's here someplace. I'm sure it is. Hey, wait a minute, fella. You're all banged up here. Looks like we both got bumped. Here, sit down. You'll need a drink. Mary, you'll find a pint in my bag. Bring it in here, will you? But but they got the papers. Okay. We ought to look. They did. Yeah, the briefcase isn't here. I, I don't see it. Oh, there wasn't anything in that briefcase except some old Istanbul newspapers. They probably threw it out the window. Back at Hyder Pasha, a Britisher I know warned me to be careful on this trip. I put my classified material someplace else. Oh, but then that means I killed two men without any cause. Without a shred of evidence to back up my story. Uh, how we waste time. Quick, the Syrian border police got on the train at Adana. They might be here any minute. Now, who is dead here? Mary, the deadhead, took me into Hatfield's room and carefully administered first aid to my cuts and bruises. But Kevorkian and Hatfield were busy in number eight. What... what are they doing? Never mind. Pay no attention. But... They're throwing the bodies out of the window. Think not of it, please. Heike Vorkin is a Macedonian. When he fought the Germans at Thessalonica, he threw bodies over the cliffs. He knows what he is doing. Oh, but... But you, you are a brave man, too. Even if you are not Macedonian, you would be judgment-tried for two, three years in spite of your age and your innocence. It is better to have no bodies. What's that? Be quiet now. Border police. Well, we got the room cleaned up just in time. Number eight, She has their passport. I forgot. No, they are not here. I. I can tell you about Chiniara and Rica. This man here, Mr. Ward, he is American general in disguise, secret service. He put Chiniara and Rica off at Adana with pistol. They were spies. Oh, good heavens! He'll never believe that. Never mind. This man is a Syrian. He does not care what happens in Turkey. But do you have any Syrian money? Oh, oh yes, yes. Here, in my wallet. Good. Give it to me. <laughs> Thank you. Now, come with me, Sergeant. Do not worry now, Mr. Ward. In a moment, Haiki Vorkian will have those passports. We will throw them out the window, and there will be no trace. And to think, Mary. I thought you might be drawing down an Axis paycheck. Oh, it is no matter. Now we are out of Turkey. And before long... I can go to United States. Maybe that might not be so easy. You've got no money, no passport, no transportation through the combat zones. Never mind. I shall do it. I walk to here from Macedonia. I can walk all the way. Like St. Paul in the Bible walk to Rome. Well, I wish you luck, but you'll have a time getting by British control at Aleppo. You can't smuggle a pack of cigarettes past them. Oh, but what about me? What about a murderer? I don't know. We'll see. the station where British control came on. The trip had been pretty awful, with Tom trying to act as if nothing had happened, and with me staring into that empty room, imagining Chiniara and Rika sitting there staring back at me. Maybe they had been spies, maybe not. Now they were dead, and I was in trouble. We knew that the minute the train stopped, a soldier stood outside our windows and said, Look here, everyone remains in his place in this car. We waited silently for many minutes. Then a British major in khaki shorts stepped in. 
Behind him, I saw Kiborkian and Mary the Deadhead standing in the doorway. Good morning, I'm Radcliffe. I'm looking for two missing passengers identified as Greeks, Tiniara and, uh, and Brikar by name. Oh, come now, they seem to have been in the next compartment. Yeah. What became of them? Were there two? Hmm. Young lady. Yes, sir? You weren't in number eight, were you? You don't seem to have any other place. Nor a Syrian entrance visa. Please. I sat down in the corridor. It's quite. Conductor, don't you remember two passengers booked through to Aleppo? One was a stout man. Bookseller who escaped from Greece ten days ago. The other... Ah, those. They descended from the car at Adana. One was fat with slick hair and the other... Oh, oh yes. yes. Really? I say, isn't that a bullet hole in the wall up there? And you, sir, Mr. Ward, isn't it? Uh, How did you hurt your forehead? I... Uh, an accident. Uh, I bumped into... Oh, a... yes, quite. I should tell you that the Armenian couple in number 14 heard shots just after passing Adana. They were so frightened they locked themselves in until now. It's no use. I... I shot them. Both of them. They hit me first. Please realize that I'm not joking. My orders are to find those two pseudo-Greeks, wherever they may be. Wait a minute. You said pseudo-Greeks? You mean... Uh, Major, you want to find them? Mm -hmm. And how, as you Americans say. But why? Because we're advised by Istanbul that certain Axis agents have been working out of the Balkans with identification as refugees. These two... Uh, Tiniara and Dikar were on this train. Our man on the train saw them throw something out at Adana. They hardly threw themselves out. No, we did that. Your man at Haida Pasha tipped me off to expect trouble. Really? So they were agents. Certainly they were spies. I knew that. No Greek would be fat like Tiniara after only one week escape from the Germans. And no Greek would have hair oil from Paris? Well, that being the case... Will somebody start telling the truth? I will. This mild little gentleman, knowing nothing of the war and fighting, he kills you two men in a gunfight. How you say, like nobody business. And now, please, he is still suffering from shock. So will you please give him a plane direct to Cairo where he can rest? And this American courier, he is late with dispatches. He must have a place in the plane, too. And, and since I cannot enter Syria without the passport, will you please put me also on the plane? Because in Cairo, I can get a job as a nurse with the Ella Greeks from Macedonia who are there. And maybe God will then give me a way to go to America. Like he passed St. Paul through the Taurus Gate. Is it a deal, Major? Three places on the first plane, and you have your men like the Royal Canadian Hoosies, only dead. Hmm. The plane could be arranged, of course, if... All right, Mr. Ward. Tell him. Tell him. With the eyes of that amazing girl on me, my courage came back. I told him my story, completely, in every detail. He listened carefully and took it all down on his pad, and afterwards he said... That story, Mr. Ward, is not one bit of evidence to support it. By your own statement, the evidence is buried in the snow on the slopes of the Taurus Mountains. Nuts. I tell you, I helped check it out. And I examined the two men. I am a trained nurse, and I said they were dead. And for identification, I, a soldier of Macedonia, can swear that their passports were the men you say. Hmm. Very well. I'll ring the airdrome. The evidence of three good witnesses is sufficient. <laughs> Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. And tonight brought you Three Good Witnesses by Harold Lamb. Adapted for radio by John Dunkel, with Morgan Farley as Humphrey Ward, Jack Webb as Tom Hatfield, Jeanette Nolan as Mary the Deadhead, and Harry Bartell as Kivokian. Music was conceived and conducted by Cy Fuhr. Beginning next Sunday night, Escape will be heard at a new hour... 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time.
Next Sunday night, we escape with another exciting adventure story created for you by one of the world's great authors. Good night, then, until 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time next Sunday night when again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Honest Harold next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Harold Perry to star in Honest Harold. The Harold Perry Show. Yeah. <laughs> And now, Harold Perry as Honest Harold, the homemaker. Well, here we are again in the little town of Melrose Springs, home of that popular radio show for ladies, Honest Harold, the homemaker. Honest Harold is a little sad this morning, for the light of his life, the lovely Evelina, is leaving Chicago. Harold and Evelina's uncle, Doc Yancey, the veterinarian, are at the station to see her off. Well, Evelina, this is farewell. Now, Harold, it isn't that serious. Yeah, she's only going to be gone three days. (laughs) All right, Doc. Evie, I'll miss you. I'll miss you too, Harold. And I give you my word, Evelina. While you're gone, I won't even look at another girl. Hee, hee. <laughs> Harold, you sound like a calf with a heave. Doc, why don't you stick your head on the rail and see if the train is coming, huh? <laughs> All right. I do have sort of a trained ear. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, that'll keep him busy for a little while. The flyer's always a half an hour late. Like I was saying, Evie, while you're away, Harold Hemp is going to be true blue. Well, good. Yes, sir, true blue. And I want you to try and have a good time in Chicago, Evie, even though I'm not there. Well, I'll try, Harold. Brave little girl. (laughs) And don't you worry about me. I'll be true blue. While you're gone, I'm going to spend all my evenings at home reading. Reading? You said it. I'm going to read that book you gave me for Christmas a few years ago. Anthony Adverse. (laughs) Evie, since I'm going to be true blue, how about a little kiss? Oh, now, Harold. But give me something to remember you by. Your kiss would stay on my lips for three days with that indelible lipstick. (laughs) Well. Oh, come on. All right, Harold. Train's coming, Harold. (laughs) Yeah, the train's pulling in, Harold. Yeah, I heard it, Doc. Just my luck. The first time she's been on time in two years. I'll take your bag, Jimmy. Put them on board. Yeah, good idea. Well, this is it, Evie. Don't worry about me. I'll be true blue. Goodbye, Harold. Just leave me, Evie. Don't look back. It's easier that way. Harold. Yes? Here. (laughs) (laughs) Evie, you kissed me. Come on, Evelina. Goodbye, Harold. Goodbye. Oh, Evie. Goodbye, Evelina. Watch out for card sharks. (laughs) Goodbye. She's gone, Doc. Gone. She's one girl in a million, Doc. And she doesn't have to worry. I'm going to be true blue. Hey, look what got off the train, Harold. Uh, that, that gal over there. Woo-hoo, she's a looker, ain't she? I'm not interested. Well, I am. <laughs> I won't hurt you to take a peek, Harold. All right, I see her. She can't tempt me. Just because she's got red hair, pink sweater, a lot of curves. Whoop. She winked at me. Come on, Doc. Listen up. Good 
morning, Station KHJP. No, Mr. Hamp hasn't come in yet. You're welcome. Good morning, Glory. Oh, good morning, Mr. Hamp. Harold. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gloria, just saw Evelina off at the station. <sighs> yes, I see you did. <laughs> what? I think you look awful cute with lipstick. Uh, oh, well, it's Evelina's. I'm going to wear it for three days. <laughs> oh, it's a very becoming shade. Oh, you like it? It's Congo red. Harold, huh? I guess you'll be kind of lonesome now with Evelina away. Will I? And if you're not doing anything tonight and want to come over, well... <laughs> uh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you, Gloria. Not that I don't appreciate it, but I'm going to be true blue to Evelina. Yes, indeed. Oh, I'm not even going to think about another girl. That goes for that redhead that just got off the train. What redhead? Huh? The one with green eyes, pink sweater, who winked at me. She winked at you? Harold! Gloria, let's get this thing straight. Evelina's the only girl for me. Not going to give a thought to anybody else. In fact, I'm going to stay home tonight, curl up by the fireside, and read a redhead with pink sweater. Oop! (laughs) (laughs) I mean a book. Oh, goodbye. (laughs) Yeah, this is the way to spend an evening, all right. A nice Morris chair, good book. Let's see here. Anthony Adverse. Hmm, kind of thick. 1,500 pages. Wonder if they ever condensed this for Quick Magazine. Hey, I remember Anthony Adverse. It was an old movie. Can't be too old, though. They haven't shown it on television yet. (laughs) Funny about that redhead at the station this morning. She did wink at me, I think. I'd had a cinder in her eye if she came from Chicago, though. Hemp, I'm ashamed of you. Thinking about another girl and you're still wearing Evelina's lipstick. Why, hello. Oh, hello, Mother. Oh, you're reading a book. Oh, a big one, too. Oh, it's not so big. 1,500 pages, small print. (laughs) Now, Harold, you're not fooling your mother. Huh? Your mind isn't really on that book. I know who you're thinking of. You do? Evelina. Oh, Evelina. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Oh, by the way, Harold, I hear there's a new girl in town. What? Mm Mm-hmm. Visiting her uncle, uh, Comrade Linth- Linthicum. Oh? She came in on the morning train. Uh, maybe you noticed her at the station. Why should I notice her? Well, I understand she's an awfully pretty girl. Red hair, brown eyes. Green. <laughs> Such a pretty girl. Mother, I want to make one thing clear. The girl means absolutely nothing to me, and I have no intention of taking her out. What? Please, Mother. I don't see why you keep talking about that girl when all I want to do is spend a nice evening at home with this interesting book. Oh, I'm sorry, Harold. Now you go right ahead and read. No, I won't. I'm going out for a walk. Good night, Mother. Oh, my Harold's restless tonight. Oh, I know why. This is the day he changed to his woolen underwear. <laughs> stand in front of this pet shop window all night. Getting tired of watching those tropical fish swim around. Tss, guppies. Tss. Hey, that one with the bushy eyebrows looks like me. <laughs> Silly to be upset about that girl. Probably never even see her again. Well, good evening. Good evening. <laughs> uh, it's you. What? Uh, good morning. Good night. Uh, how have you been? <laughs> I'm just visiting here, and I'm sort of looking the town over tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if you could tell me where I might get one of those real small-town ice cream sodas. You know, the kind that are really yummy. Yummy. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, uh, you can get one down at the drugstore. It's up this way. I mean, down that way. 
Funny I knew where it was this morning. <laughs> oh, look at those cute little fish. Yeah, guppies. Ah, <laughs> uh, and there's one fish chasing another one. <laughs> Probably trying to catch him for her mate. Catch him for her mate? Oop, he's the one that looks like me. <laughs> uh, see you later, miss. Oh, brother, that was close Glad I swam away in time Where am I? Oh, there's Evelina's house Wonder if old Doc Yak Yak is home I think I'll drop in and talk to him Take my mind off things The old horse doctor is probably back here in his animal shed Come in Oh, my goodness, what a menagerie. Which one is you, Doc? I'm in the clinic, Harold. The back room. Clinic? You kill me, Doc. Now, Harold, is this a professional visit? Got the distemper again? <laughs> this is a social call, Doc. Just thought I'd drop in and play a little game of authors or something. Oh, I'm sorry, Harold. I'm busy tonight. Oh? And I'm operating on a patient. What? There she is. That cat? Steady now, Gertrude. What are you going to do with her, Doc? Major surgery. I'm going to clip her nails. <laughs> Heaven's sake, manicuring a cat. Let's see, where did I put my surgical gown? <laughs> oh, poor little Gertrude. Now, you let old Doc know if this hurts, dear. I'll give you an anesthetic. Oh, brother. Uh, Gosh, that girl is beautiful Yes, Gertrude is kind of pretty Green eyes, red hair A striped tail A striped tail <laughs> Doc Well, Harold, I guess you are kind of lonesome with Evelina away Well, it is I uh, can fix you up with a date tonight Slick young female I know, 25 years old and never been kissed Who? My horse, Silver Moon <laughs> Doc. Well, she needs the exercise, and it'll keep you out of mischief. Well, okay, Doc. Hmm. Nursemaid do a sway-back nag. <laughs> the things I do for Evelina. Well, this is kind of nice. Jogging along on a country road in the moonlight. You having a good time, Silver Moon? <laughs> well, a happy horse. <laughs> yes, sir. This is the way to avoid temptation, all right. Just ride along in the cool air, then go home and dream of Evelina. Evelina, who oh, won't you pay a little? What's that? Huh? Car stalled up the road. No wonder it's one of Hank Dutcher's rental cars. Reconditioned Rios. <laughs> Whoa, Silver Moon. Anybody there need any help? Oh, hello. Oop, it's that pink sweater. <laughs> I'm afraid my car is stalled. Stalled? Well, I'll go right into town and send out a mechanic. Giddy up, Silver Moon. Oh, please. Huh? Couldn't I please ride into town with you? With me? Well, I... <laughs> Stop pushing me, Silver Moon. You wouldn't leave a girl out here in the dark all by herself. Well, uh, no, I guess not. Ah, oh, thank you. Give me your hand. Yeah, take my elbow. Oh, yeah. There. Uh. Oh, aren't you the man I saw watching the tropical fish? Yeah, I'm the one with the bushy eyebrows. <laughs> Get up, Silver Moon. Oh, Silver Moon. Oh, my, that's a pretty name. Pretty horse. Pretty night. Pretty warm. <laughs> I'm Mary Lou Dupre. Aren't you going to introduce yourself? Oh, I'm Harold Hemp. They call me Honest Harold... I mean, uh, Honest Harold the Homemaker on the radio. <laughs> radio? Yeah. Why, that's a coincidence. I'm in show business, too. Oh? I'm a nightclub singer in New York. What they call a chanteuse. A chanteuse? <laughs> I sing songs of love and passion. Oh, brother, get up, Silver Moon. <laughs> songs, 
songs like this. I've got you under my skin. You have? <laughs> I've got you deep in the heart of me. <laughs> so deep in my heart, you're really a part of me. Have you ever read Anthony Anvers? <laughs> I've got you under my skin. Whoa, Silver Moon. <laughs> Miss Dupre? Yes? I can't fight this thing any longer. It's bigger than both of us. What kind of lipstick do you use? Why, uh, Congo Red. Good, same kind I'm wearing. <laughs> oh, I missed your hem. I'll hate myself in the morning, but what the heck? <laughs> you mind your own business, Silver Moon. <laughs> We'll return for the second act of our story, Honest Herald, in just a moment. But first... I've just read next Thursday's suspense script, Rave Notice, and I'm sorry to report that there's not one joke in it that I can steal. <laughs> However, it's a very fascinating and terrifying story, I promise you. And, of course, it will star America's most distinguished dramatic actor, Milton Berle. <laughs> Uncle Milty to you. Thank you. Yes, tomorrow night on radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense... Milton Berle will star in Rave Notice. Oh, brother. Suspense is heard every Thursday on most of these same CBS stations. Don't miss Milton Berle on Suspense at CBS The Star's Address tomorrow night. Oh, by the way, listen for Harold Perry's important announcement at the end of our show. And now, back to Honest Harold, the homemaker. <laughs> It's the morning after for Honest Harold. Last night, his accidental meeting with the attractive Mary Lou turned into a romantic interlude. And now, in the cold light of day, Harold is filled with remorse. I sure am. I'm a cad. For he lost his head and kissed the charming chanteuse. Well, just once. But I shouldn't have done it. No willpower. Aren't you ashamed, Harold? Yes. What? Oh. Will you ever forgive me, Evelina? Well, right now, Honest Harold is entering the radio station with a heavy tread and a guilty heart. Harold Hemp, you're a bounder. And you wanted to run for mayor. Good morning, Harold. Oh, good morning, Gloria. Gosh, you look a little peaked this morning. Hmm? You shouldn't have stayed up so late last night. What? Reading that book, Anthony Adverse. Oh, <laughs> Did he kiss the girl yet? Yeah, he sure did. <laughs> I think it's noble the way you're staying home at night while Evelina's gone. What a sneaky thing I did. And oh, how sweet and sentimental. Huh? You're still wearing Evelina's lipstick, Congo Red. Yeah, I got a fresh coat last night. <laughs> See you later, Gloria. Well, at least nobody knows about it yet. Why did I ever... Hemp? <laughs> Get that dazed look off your face. Remember me, I'm the station manager. Oh, good morning, station... And Stanley? <laughs> Come into my office, Hemp. Yes, sir. I bet he's found out about it. And he likes Evelina, too. Hemp, I want to talk to you. I deny everything. What? Anyway, I only kissed her once. Hemp, what are you You'd saying? You'd have done the same thing, Stanley. A lonely road, silver moon, her perfume. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm only human, Stanley. Hemp. Stop tugging at my lapels. I don't know what you're talking about. You don't? Isn't that what you wanted to see me about? I called you in to talk to you about your monthly office report. Oh, the office report. Yes. <laughs> you single-spaced it again, and you know it should be double-spaced. Oh, I'll, <laughs> I'll double-space it, Stanley. I'll triple-space it. Anything you say, Stanley, you're wonderful. So understanding, the nicest boss a fellow ever had. Mm. Harold! Ooh, mistake. <laughs> Sorry, Stanley, but say, you look cute with that Cupid's bow on your cheek. It's Congo Red. <laughs> wow. But 
Stanley knew something there for a minute. What are my feelings so guilty about? Just one little kiss? Didn't mean a thing to either one of us. Hi, boy. Oh, Pete, the town marshal. What are you doing, Pete? Writing out a parking ticket for this bicycle. Too close to the fire plug. Oh, for heaven's sake. You been buggy riding lately, boy? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, Pete? Yeah, just a minute, Harold. I gotta fill out this ticket. Make of bicycle, Sears, Roebuck, Atomic, Flyer. Pete, did you see me last night? I sure did, boy. I was out looking for chicken thieves. <laughs> that was a cute little Rhode Island red you had. <laughs> You're quite a smoocher, aren't you, boy? <laughs> well, look here, Pete. Don't you try to make a big thing out of this. Just one harmless little kiss. Didn't mean a thing to me. In fact, I'm never going to see that girl again. I'm through with her. Yeah, but is she through with you? Huh? If you ask me, you're in trouble, boy. Trouble? What do you mean? Just a minute, Harold. Yeah. Distance of vehicle from fire plug, four feet. Pete! Eight. Is it five feet? Pete, I want to talk to you. Uh, we'll split the difference. Call it four and a half. Pete, what did you mean? Is she through with me? Well, I heard about a case like yours just the other day. Fella kissed a girl, thought he was through with her. What did she do? Shot him in the stomach. <laughs> Shot him because she loved him. But Pete... Shot him because she loved him. Stop saying that. Pete, you don't think this girl will shoot me? Hey, just a minute, Harold. i got to finish this ticket. Oh. Attitude of driver. Hey, now, that's a tough one. Pete, listen to me. Oh, Shaw, the whole thing is a mistake, Carol. Mistake? You mean about the girl shooting the fella? No, the joke's on me. <laughs> Making out a ticket for my own bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Staying home tonight, Harold? Yes, Mother, I want to finish the book. That's nice. I'll leave you alone so I won't disturb your concentration. Thank you, Mother. Yeah, that Marshal, he spoiled my whole day. Mary Lou wouldn't shoot me. This is silly. She couldn't fall in love with me over one little kiss. Of course, I am rather attractive. <laughs> I was wearing my new shaving lotion last night. <laughs> Why doesn't Harold get here? I can't live another moment without him. Oh, there he is. Harold! Hello. <laughs> Come in. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Let me close the door. I'll just tell her that kiss meant nothing to me. She won't care. She locked the door. <laughs> She's hiding the key. Oop. Harold? Come sit down. Huh? No, here on the floor. What? On this tiger skin. Oh. <laughs> Didn't see him. <laughs> oh, little tiger. <laughs> Mind if I sit on you? Uh, uh, uh. Oop, big molars. <laughs> <sighs> now, isn't this cozy? Yeah, where'd you get this little old tiger? I shot him. He's got bushy eyebrows, too. Mary Lou, I wanted to tell you something. Harold. Ah. I can't forget last night. The moonlight. You and I sitting close in the buggy. That strange fragrance in the air. Oh, that was my shaving lotion. <laughs> Lumber yardly. <laughs> Your kiss in the dark. Oh, it still lingers on my lips. Indelible lipstick. I'll never forget it as long as I live. You won't? I mean, you won't? And now that I've found you at last, my own true love, I'll never let you go. But... And if you should ever try to leave me, do you know what I'd do? I'd shoot you. <laughs> but you would never leave me, would you, Harold? Oh, no. Why would I want to leave you, Evelina? Hmm? Evelina? Mm -hmm. Then there is another woman. Uh, You've been deceiving me. <laughs> and you call yourself Honest Harold. The homemaker. <laughs> it was just one kiss. Mary Lou, what are you reaching in your purse for? Is that a gun? 
I'm going to shoot you with this Mauser, you rat. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. That thing is pointing right at me. Mary Lou. Mary Lou. Harold. Harold, what are you doing on the floor? Where's that tiger? (laughs) Mary Lou, put away that Mauser. What? Oh, hello, Mother. Help me up. Oh, you must have dozed off, Harold. Oh, yeah. Oh, I have some wonderful news for you. Huh? Uh, Dr. Yancey just called. Evelina's coming back sooner than she thought. She is? When? On the 8.20 tonight. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, you said it. Oh, you better hurry if you're going to meet her. Uh, oh, my, but you're pale, Harold. Yeah. Hope you're not catching another cold. Mm-hmm. Maybe the doctor ought to give you a shot. If Mary Lou doesn't do it first. <laughs> Who's that? Hello. This is Mary Lou. Is that you, Harold? Oop, Mary Lou. Harold? This is Harold's mother speaking. <laughs> Harold isn't here. He's gone to Timbuktu. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, Harold. You're always joking. <laughs> That's what you think. Goodbye, Mother. <laughs> train isn't in yet. Well, only honest thing to do is to tell Evelina the whole story. At least if Mary Lou shoots me, I'll die with a clear... Harold! Oop, Mary Lou, she followed me down here. Harold, I want to talk to you. This is it. I'm glad I wore my new herringbone. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you're here. I wanted to tell you goodbye. Goodbye? My agent phoned me from New York. He has a job for me there, and I'm leaving on the next train. You are? Harold, I, I wanted to clear up one thing before I go. That little kiss in the buggy last night... I hope you didn't take it seriously. No. Good. Oh, you're very sweet, Harold. But I couldn't fall in love with you in a million years. You couldn't? Thank you. That's the nicest thing any girl ever said to me. (laughs) What? Oh, there's my train. Goodbye, Harold. Uh, Goodbye, Mary Lou. The nicest chanteuse I've ever met. Oh, there's Evelina getting off now. Evelina! Yoo-hoo! Evelina! Oh, hello, Harold. You didn't have to come down to meet me. Oh, glad to do it. Gosh, it's nice to see you again. Oh, it's nice to see you. Uh, oh, there you are, Evelina. Peabody, what's he doing down here? Hello, Stanley. I'm glad you're here, Hemp. What? Evelina, I think there's something you ought to know about Honest Harold. While your back was turned, he went buggy riding with another girl. Oop. And that isn't all. He kissed her. But there she is, just getting on the train. That pretty girl... Is that true, Harold? Um, yes, it is. Oh, that's wonderful. Huh? Oh, how intriguing. I didn't realize you had that much charm and dash. Ah. Uh. <laughs> but Evelina. Stanley, it looks like you've been getting a little romantic yourself. Isn't that lipstick on your cheek? Oh, that's mine. What? <laughs> and I'm about ready for another coat. Pucker up, Evelina. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You have just heard the Harold Perry Show, Honest Harold, who returns in just a moment with an important announcement. The supporting players tonight included Mary Jane Croft, Catherine Card, Viola Vaughn, Ken Peters, and Parley Bear, and featured Gloria Holiday as Gloria and Joseph Kearns as old Doc Yak Yak. Norman MacDonald directed, and the music was composed and conducted by Jack Meekin. Honest Harold, created by Harold Perry, was written by Gene Stone, Jack Robinson, and Dick Powell. Now back to Harold Perry for his important announcement. Oh, yeah, that's me, isn't it? (laughs) Now, just what was that message, Harold? Well, Bob, we talked about it last week, but for the people who missed it, I'm hunting for a laughing lady, someone we can invite to appear on our show. And all the gal has to do is just laugh? That's right. (laughs) Her laugh will enter in the Honest Harold Laugh Contest, and it begins right in her hometown. So, ladies, if the laugh contest is being conducted in your city, please enter. And you may be here with us some Wednesday night. Well, say, that sounds like fun. Oh, it is, Bob. Come on, girls. Let's all laugh. (laughs) Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. 
Stay tuned for Ziggy and Stardust next on Zoomer Radio. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.